Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Morning. Um, before I start, I'll have to apologize to you. Um, one thing that I've noticed is when the Holy Spirit moves, it does different things to different people. And the thing that it does to me, it makes me cry. When uh, when Clayton asked me to to come and fill in this week, um, I knew that I knew that where I was coming was a special place. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I was a member of the launch team of this church, which was 18 years ago, a long time ago. Um, my wife and I were married in the old building. Um, my kids were dedicated in this church um so it's it's sentimental special but um as much as as anything else um all of you make it special um i I was talking to a couple of people that are kind of heroes of mine and um it kind of it makes me think that this is kind of a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like for me um Getting to see people that you that you love and you know and that you that you know have prayed for you and uh, have been instrumental in making you who you are. So this is not the this is not part of the message. This is just me up here blabbering about how emotional I am this morning. So if as we go through, um, just if you think about it, breathe a little prayer that I can make it through this because my heart's torn up right now. Um, so this is the third message in a series that I'm going to, uh, deliver to you this morning. The first two, uh, were delivered by my mom. If you didn't know, Maridel, who's been here for the past two weeks is my mom. Um, so she started off with a message about great faith. And those of you who weren't here or those of you who were, um, she talked about, there was a Roman centurion who's, uh, who came to Jesus expecting a big miracle and knew very little about him. But because of his great, great faith, a great healing was done in, his, in the life of his family. Um, and then last week she talked about how sometimes little faith is kind of what's needed. So she talked about that uh, while the disciples and Jesus were in a storm and a pretty significant storm, um, 
the disciples' little faith was enough to move Jesus to act in a miraculous way. Um, so today, I get to speak to you about the most exciting of the three, zero faith. <laughs> uh, so um, I was telling a few folks as I was kind of preparing for this, I thought there's no more appropriate topic for me to talk about than zero faith. Um, I'm not a seasoned speaker, and I'm, I'm uh, still kind of finding my way. And, um, you know, there have been ups and downs. I, I've, I remember there was one message that I finished, and the grand crescendo was me saying, I don't know, guys, it's not rocket science. And then we prayed. So <laughs> my abilities as a speaker um, are not great. And my faith in my abilities as a speaker is also not great. So, so to come to you this morning and speak to you about no faith, um, I'm a bit of an expert in that. Um, so as we come into this story, and if you're, if you're wanting to follow along in your Bible or on your app, it's Mark chapter 6, and it's verses uh, 1 through 6. In the story we come up on, uh, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples. He's been doing things all around uh, the country, and he, he comes back home. And when he comes back home, uh, he gets greeted in kind of an odd way. But we, uh, I can't help but notice the contrast. The story that they tell before in Mark is um, Jesus raises a little dead girl and heals a sick woman. So he's coming off some pretty miraculous things. Um, but as we get into it, and before I read it, I think we ought to maybe say a prayer real quick that God will speak to you this morning so that I don't have to um, <laughs> pray with me. God Almighty, we come to you this morning and I thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you for this, this group of people that... Um, you have assigned to this area to do your work. Um, I just thank you for how beautiful your spirit is, and I thank you for the opportunity uh, to play a part in what you're doing in the world. Um, so as we go forward, God, please let your word be heard uh, through my mouth, and let your, let your spirit move. Just be here with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we, we, we start Mark chapter 6. Um, and the, t the title of this section is A Prophet Without Honor. So I told you, he came, Jesus came home, and that's kind of where we're going to pick it up. Uh, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Uh, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that, he, that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph? And Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I want to take a minute real quick to kind of note the interesting flow of that. Jesus comes to his hometown, and, and the best illustration I could come up with for this, and um, I didn't know he was going to be here today, so this kind of makes it awkward, but the best illustration I could come up with was my dad. Um, so... We came from a very small town. Generations of us lived in this little bitty town. Um, everybody knew everybody. And in that small town, my, though my dad's given name is John R. Williams III, 
John. Everybody knows him as Johnny. From when he was a kid, I assume, is where that started. You kids, you give little names. And, and so for his whole life, my dad was Johnny. And he didn't like that. Um, probably when he was a kid, he didn't mind. But as he grew to be an adult, Johnny became kind of a, I don't know, kind of a thing, kind of a hang-up. Um, because, you know, initially, if you're the third, then it's John or, or whoever the first two are. They didn't go by John either, but anyway. Um, so when you're a kid, they distinguish you by Johnny. Um, so when you grow up, you expect to grow out of that, and it just doesn't happen in a small town. Everybody has nicknames, and um, just as a couple of amazing examples, uh, there's a dude named Pooch, there's a dude named Salpool, and as grown men, you think, well, they don't say that to their face. Oh, yeah, that's their name. That's what they go by. So for my dad, even now, he is 68 years old. If he goes back to our hometown, everybody that knows him, when he comes in, it's going to call him Johnny, even though he's been John for 20 years here in Murfreesboro. When he goes back, he is Johnny. Jesus is kind of experiencing that same thing. When he comes back to his hometown, he is not... Jesus, the Son of God, he's not uh, Jesus, the rabbi. He is Jesus, the carpenter. He is Jesus, the son of Mary. He's Jesus, the brother of uh, Judas and Simon, and he's the sister of, who'd I say? His sisters, they don't even name them, sorry. So he, he is a member of this family. He's the hometown kid. He is who we remembered him to be. He is, he's Johnny. He's, he's just that little guy. Um, and so you think, well, they don't believe, they're, they're, they're kind of missing the boat. And that's, that's what I thought too in the beginning. But if we look at uh, verse 2, they heard him. And they heard him speak, and they were amazed because this kid from our hometown is, is breaking out the word, and he's doing great things, and um, it kind of surprises them because here's this kid that we all know. Um, and then when they swing to the end of that little section, and they took offense at him. And I, I read that, and I thought, that's kind of odd. They're amazed. They know who he is, but they're offended at him. Um, so the offense comes in, and I think if I can put my finger on it, it's kind of a product of that first section. That they say, here's this guy who's one of us, you're no better than we are, and yet you come in here and you preach, and you do these things, and we know who you are. We know exactly who you are. We watched you grow up, we watched your family, we know your job, we know who you are. So I think they're kind of offended that he's coming in in this new role. Um, but that's not where we come in that's not where I want to stay for too terribly long I just tell you that just to kind of set this next part up they're offended at him they're tore up because they know who he is and then they come into this last verse 4 uh, through 6 and it says Jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and in his own home saying this is kind of what I expect. He could not do any, any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
He was amazed at their lack of faith. So these folks that, that Jesus has known all his life, these folks that he grew up with, um, kind of give him what he expects. He knows kind of how that works. But the part that I want to focus on and the, the reason I call, uh, that this is zero faith is these folks had zero faith. And the fallout from that is it says Jesus couldn't do any miracles except lay his hands on a few people and heal the sick. So I want us to notice the great, I don't want to call it power, but the great effect that these people's zero faith has on this situation. Um, that Jesus, that we know to be fully God and fully man, that we know to be the Son of God, that we know to be the Savior of the world, that we know to be the, the Messiah, comes into his hometown and he's completely rendered ineffective by zero faith. Um, these folks have essentially tied the hands of Jesus by their zero faith. And I don't mean they've tied the hands of Jesus in a global way, like they didn't affect his entire ministry, but in their lives specifically, they've tied his hands. Um, he can't do anything for them because of who they believe him to be. They were amazed, but not amazed enough to believe, not amazed enough to have faith. They believe who he is is the same Jesus they knew when he came around. And so his hands are tied. I wonder if we can think of situations in our life where we've tied the hands of God. Um, I know that intentionally we would never do that, and I know that we would, um, we would say, I would never tie the hands of God. But I think of it like this. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would, you would be playing outside and coming inside and playing outside and coming inside and at some point your parent says to you, this is it. You pick inside or outside. And obviously you pick outside, right? Because that's where nobody's telling you what to do. <laughs> but when you pick outside, you, you get kind of hot and thirsty in the summer. And so what do you do? You drink from the hose, right? Because it's hot out and you need a drink. Um, which I heard, I was telling somebody, I heard the other day that you can't drink from the hose anymore. There's lead poisoning in hoses. I don't know. That's the story I heard. Um, but when we were kids, nobody worried about our lead content. So, <laughs> so you drink from the hose. And if you had a sibling, which I was blessed enough to have two older than me, um, what a wonderful thing. And so <laughs> if you have a sibling and you go to drink from the hose, guess what your older brother is going to do to you every time? You're going to drink and he's going to kink that hose, right? And then when you realize, what the heck, what's going on? He's going to go, whoop. And what's going to happen? Right in your face every time. He's... He's in control of your fate at that point, right? And you never catch on, or I didn't. You may have. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you go to get your drink, and somebody kinks your hose, it cuts off your flow to just a little trickle. And then when they let it go, out it comes again. So that's what we're dealing with here. Think of the power of God as flowing through a hose. And we as the people of God control the, the kink. 
Um, our zero faith puts a knot in that hose. Um, whether it's a, a difficult sibling or if you're just pulling a hose out, right? Sometimes you're just pulling the hose out. And then you get to a spot and you're like, squeeze the little trigger and nothing comes out. You've pulled a kink in the hose. You didn't mean to do that, but you did it. So you got to go back and unloosen that kink. Same idea. Um, so these folks have put a kink in the hose that delivers the power of God into their lives. So <clears throat> I'll say this, these two things. Number one, sometimes, yes, we intentionally put a kink in the hose. Um, sometimes we say, God, I just don't believe it. I'm out. I don't want any part of it. And that's, that's a thing that happens. Um, let's not act like it doesn't. But sometimes we unintentionally do it. Sometimes we're going along in our life, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, um, and we get to a point and we say, man, God's power is just not moving in me. I don't see any crazy things happening. I don't see any miracles going down. I don't see God's hand working in the world. Well, sometimes we've pulled our hose and we've kinked it accidentally. Um, and so this morning... I just want to kind of give you a few a few ways to make sure that your hose isn't kinked. Um, way number one, and, and Clayton warned me before I started this to not move around, but I'm going to have to. Um, this is the first church I've been at that they tell you where to stand when you're speaking. Partly as a jab at him. I don't walk over here. Um, <laughs> so how do you know when your hose is getting kinked? Ad advertently or inadvertently? Um, sometimes we... Let's talk about us as a church people. Um, our first way is believing that your power is the most important factor in God moving in the world. Um, and you say, oh, I would never do that. Maybe you would. I think about myself, and this is the only one I'm going to speak to. I'm not going to call anybody out on their stuff, except for maybe Clayton. Um, for me, when I got into this, to this pastoral thing, I was called by God at an early age, um, and I, I ran away from it, and I, I finally came back to it, and... Um, I started to preach. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you accept a call to preach and you go for a local license, they start kind of putting you in this list. If pastors aren't there, they bring you there. Um, and as I started doing some filling in preaching, I realized that I'm not the best speaker in the world, as we already talked about. I'm, I'm just not it. Um, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be with people and lead people. Um, but this part scares me to death. Um, and so... I thought, well, if I just write better, um, so I write down all of my sermon notes, and used to I would fill pages and pages of notebook paper with my writings. And then I continued to kind of flop, and I thought, well, if I just spend more time studying, so every day, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, I mean, I was getting pretty serious about it, and I read, and I studied, and I wanted to pull out every, uh, every ounce of truth in the Bible, and it still didn't matter because when I got up on, on the platform to speak, it just didn't come out. And so, um, 
probably the greatest revelation, and again, I've, I've kind of shared some of this with some folks this morning. The greatest revelation I had was I went to a church and I spoke and I did poorly, um, or I felt like I did poorly, and I thought, man, there's no way. No way I can ever go back there and face those folks. And then a few months later, they called me back, and they were like, hey, would you like to come fill in? And I thought, that's kind of crazy. But um, I went back, and as I, introduced, or as I said hello to people, I realized that they had no idea who I was. <laughs> and so it kind of gave me a little bit of hope that, you know, I'm not as impactful a person as maybe I thought I was. <laughs> so what I learned, though, and I know that's kind of a silly story, but, but think about it. Are you really as important in the, in the world of God as you think that you are? Are you really that talented? Are you really that? And some of you are, I know. Like those folks who come up here and play music, that's beautiful, and that's a talent, and I get it. But what I will say is when you believe that your talent is the most important thing, that's when you're heading for some pretty dry times, some pretty tight kinks in your hose. Um, for me, when I believe that everything that, uh, everything that I put into preparing to speak was the most important thing that I could do, it was, my hose was kinked pretty tight. The power of God was not moving through me. Um, but when I realized that the more time that I spent praying and the more time that I spent asking God, please move me out of the way so that your word can be spoken through me. When that realization happened, that's when the kink came out. Um, <clears throat> you have to forgive me. This rewrite came this morning. Um, the second thing that I think we can do is we can lose perspective on who we know Jesus to be. And what I mean by that is these folks kink their hose because of who they knew Jesus to be. Um, and this is kind of a tough one to put your finger on. It's not as realistic as what they're doing here. But think about it. They pointed out everything that Jesus had been. Um, he's a son. He's a brother. He's a sister. Um, he's a carpenter. He's this or that or this. In church circles specifically, sometimes we say, we are a church that believes in Jesus. We're a church that believes Jesus came, died for our sins, rose again, and he did all this to save our souls. And we have an amazing children's program, an amazing music program, an amazing speaker who comes every week. We have a good pastor. We have good board members. We have good board secretaries. We do all these great things. Sometimes we put Jesus in a list of things that we do well. That, that hurts to hear. Because while we want to do things with excellence, we want to do things, everything that we can to make um, this world better for Jesus. If he becomes just a part of the list of things that you do, then you're, you're tightening down on that, that hose. Um, Jesus should be and I think, I mean, this may be old hat for you guys because you kind of got it down, but Jesus should be the number one on the list. That anything that we do, 
is because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through us and is led by God the Father who communicates with us and tells us exactly which direction we should go. If we get caught up in, in Jesus being part of the program, then we've lost sight of what we should be looking at. <clears throat> and so, finally, kind of as we finish this up, I want you to know that this is not a scientific process. Um, there's no, there's no five-step plan that I'm going to stand here and give you that's going to make you immediately understand more what God has for you in your life. But I would invite you to start here. As you go through your life, whether you're, whether you're already a believer, whether you're not a believer yet, no matter where you are, start here. Pray and ask God, God, what would you have me do in your life? And if it's something that you're already very good at, that may not be it. If, if we read on, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a story after this that kind of sums up what I'm trying to get at. And I'm just going to kind of cliff notes it for you. The, next, the very next story, as a contrast, is... Jesus sends out his disciples. He calls them two by two and tells them to go. And when he tells them to go, he says, pack your lunch, get your best clothes, two suitcases, money, credit cards, just in case. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Everybody shake your head hearing me say he doesn't do that. Everybody? Comer? Thank you. <laughs> if I say shake your head, you got to do it. I got a microphone. You don't. Um, <laughs> So listen, he does not say that. Here's what he does say. He says, when you go, take your sandals, but don't take an extra shirt. Don't take any money. And when you get there, go in a house. And when you go in the house, you stay there till you leave. Don't take any food. Don't take anything extra. I want you to go and do. And so you're saying, man, that's, that's tough. What did they do? They did exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. They went. They preached and people believed. They went and they healed the sick. They cast out demons. They did all the things they were supposed to do with nothing. Sometimes, and this is, you've heard hashtag first world probs. Anybody? Is that old? Anybody? Yes? Okay. Again, guys, you got to shake your head when I say something because I don't know if you're listening or not. First world problems, right? Here in America, it's all, we'll do this if we have the money and the budget. If we have the proper people in place, we'll have, you know, a plan in place. We'll put together a committee and we'll make it happen. But Jesus says, if you want to have faith, then try doing something when you don't have the resources to do that. Right? right? Yeah. Doing things that you have the resources to do takes absolutely zero faith. Yeah. So for us here today, as we look at this message, as we look at this scripture and we look at you know, all the many things that they've done wrong. That's the, that's the one I want to leave you with today. In your lifetime, while you're going through this life, trying to follow Jesus, or just beginning to follow Jesus, or just questioning whether Jesus is real or not, don't count the cost based on what you have. Think about what Jesus has for you more than what you have to do the job. Okay? As we, as we 
kind of move on, we're going to have a time of communion. And um, if our band people will come on up, we're going to do communion. And I don't want you to get down about this. I don't want you to think that I'm hammering you on what you haven't done right to this point. Um, what the scripture is saying is it's good news because it, whether you're a great, talented person or whether you're me, you have a part to play in this. God has power that he wants to pour into your life. So for some of us, that's all we got to go on. Some of us have talent and that. But no matter what, you have to understand that whatever you're doing now, God has more for you. <laughs> Loosen up that hose. Find places where there are kinks in your life. Find places where you're leaning on your own and say, God, take that away from me. Help me. Help me to move past what I'm able to do. Help me to do more than what I'm able to do. Um, so Ray and Leah are going to come to the left here. Uh, me and Steph will be on the right. And we're going to serve the elements. Um, if you'll form lines right down these two aisles, come and get the, the bread and the juice and take it back to your seat, and we're all going to take it together. Um, but as you're doing it, this sacrifice that Jesus made is for that very reason, because we don't have the power to do it on our own. But he sacrificed himself so that we would, so that the Holy Spirit would come and empower us to do the things we need to do for him. Okay? Come and take it.